0: Genesis chapter 4, please. We now enter our sixth week in this chapter, so we've covered too much to recap it all. But Cain and Abel have already brought their offerings before the Lord. God had respect unto Abel and his offering. God had not respect unto Cain and his offering. So remember, it wasn't just about the offering that was presented that is certainly important, but it is clearly about the offering and the offerer. Right. Abel came in faith through blood, Cain did not. And in God's holy nature, in God's holy requirements, he had to reject Cain and his offering because there's only one way to God, and that's through faith in the blood of the sinless Lamb of God. Well, Cain becomes very wroth. And he kills his brother Abel. And we saw from 1 John 3.12 that Cain killed his brother because his brother was righteous. This is the first martyr. Keep in mind, we're only in generation two of mankind. And the first generation only had two perfect people until they sinned. You say, why is that significant? It's significant because we are told today that man is inherently good. Mm. Just read your Bible, man is inherently evil. We're two generations in, we're the second generation in, and we're already seeing murder. Simply because somebody was righteous. Society goes downhill in a hurry when God is rejected. Last week in verse 10 we considered the cry of blood. God told Cain, Thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. God heard his cry for vengeance. But then we contrasted that with the blood of Christ who speaks of better things than Abel. Under the new covenant, God said, Your sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Christ's blood cries out for mercy and grace and pardon and forgiveness. And so in Hebrews 12.25 we saw... See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. The writer of Hebrews is warning us, don't turn your ears from the cry of Christ's blood because he is your only hope. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? There is no other way. Some through the waters... Some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. (laughs) All right, Genesis 4, let's begin this morning reading verses 9 through 16. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth? which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto him, Therefore whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So we pick this account back up with Cain receiving his punishment. We've said it before, you know the saying, I think it's even in the teen room. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose your consequences. Sobering thought. Jeremiah 32, 19 says, For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. We see here God is now cursing Cain and and notice the phrase, from the earth. God told Adam in his sin, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. So in the process of producing food, we know from the curse in Genesis 3, we have to battle weeds and such. Amen. You can come look at our... Little thing we try to call a garden. And uh, you'll see exactly what I mean. But even so, God created the earth to produce. When the ground is tilled over and the soil is prepared and the seed is placed into good ground, it will bring forth fruit. Keep the rocks out, deal with the thorns, the thistles, the weeds. And Jesus said it would bring forth some 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. I got curious, with one apple, there are typically five to eight seeds in, in an apple. An average apple tree in a yard will produce 80 to 150 apples per year. From that one tree, there are anywhere from 400 to 1,200 seeds produced every year. That's a pretty good return. From one sunflower seed planted, an average sunflower head will yield another 1,000 to 2,000 seeds. And I'll eat way more than that in a year. <laughs> I phoned in a friend on this one, <laughs> but the Carters will have to correct whatever I get wrong here. I tried to get some clarification because I love strawberries, and the seeds are on the outside, and I got to think, there's a lot of seeds on a strawberry. From one strawberry, there's an average of 200 seeds, and I guess some of the bigger varieties can be like 600 seeds. One plant that keeps producing throughout a season will produce 40 to 70 strawberries, which means anywhere from 8,000 to 14,000 seeds. Wow. God made it to produce. And yet he looks at Cain and he says in verse 12, When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. Cain can forget about ever having a great harvest again. The ground would now only produce very meager, very scarce uh, harvest for him. I, I don't even know how this is possible, but God is able. It's, it's strange to think that if Cain lived in Box Elder and he didn't have a good harvest, he moved to New Underwood, didn't have a good harvest, but somebody else behind him did. That's just the way God can do things. You say, well, that seems a little weird. Well, I know this. The Bible says before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, it was well watered. And even today, it's, it's dry as can be. And so if God can curse a land, He can curse wherever Cain ends up. And so here we see He's not going to be able to yield the fullness of the ground So the ground had already been cursed because of Adam's sin. And now Cain is cursed from the earth. Not in the earth. He's cursed from the earth. The earth had received the blood of Abel. His blood cried out from the earth. And now God says, you're cursed from the earth. He rebelled against God with the fruit of the ground. And now God says, you're not going to get a whole lot of fruit from the ground. Keep in mind, listen, Cain here, he's he's double cursed, if you will. The ground's already cursed. Now, he's cursed when he tries to grow something. Keep in mind from verse 2 that Cain was a tiller of the ground. This was his life. God says, it ain't going to work for you no more. Does God have a way or what? The lack of a bountiful harvest year after year, it was going to be a continual reminder to Cain that he killed his righteous brother and shed his blood. And that the ground that he's hoping to receive from opened up to receive that blood. Well, the curse continues with God saying, A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. We think of a fugitive as one who's trying to avoid the law. And that's not the meaning here, but it is similar in that this this means somebody who is always on the move. Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary describes a fugitive as one who is volatile and unstable. A vagabond is akin to being a fugitive and it is one who has no settled dwelling place. They float about without any sense of direction as a, as a vagrant, which used to be illegal in this country. But when I drew, drove through Austin, Texas, I can tell that it is no longer illegal. Same for San Francisco. We could go down the line. Rapid City. This means Cain is now cursed to wander to and fro throughout the earth. Not very good for a farmer. Psalm 109 verse 10 says of the wicked, let his children be continually vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of their desolate places. So Cain is not only cursed from the earth, but he is now cursed in the earth. Obviously a curse is the opposite of a blessing. Amen. That's what you pay me for. To give you that deep meaning of the Word of God. And and so it's the opposite of a blessing. But what Cain has done here without repenting, refusing to get his heart right, he has forfeited his right to God's blessings. There'll be no great harvest, and there'll be no resting place. We use sayings like, there's no place like home. Home is where the heart is. Home sweet home. But Cain won't have any place to call home. They'll always be homesick, always wandering upon the earth, always a fugitive and a vagabond. And when you think about these guys were living like 900 years, that's a lot of curse. Amen. He's cursed to live in exile. He's an outcast from his homeland and his kindred. There'll be no peace found in his life. And listen to me now, this is what people are like who live their life apart from God. There's no peace, there's no rest. In Luke 11:24, 24, Jesus mentions an unclean spirit that when it is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. You contrast that with Hebrews 4, 9. What does the Bible say? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Amen. In our mind, we see this situation and what Cain has done and we think he deserves immediate death. After the great flood, God's going to institute capital punishment in Genesis 9-6. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Under the law, God's going to have the same standard in Exodus twenty one twelve. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. In the New Testament, um, in Romans 13, Paul writes that we are to be subject to the higher powers, because they are ordained of God. And He even calls them the ministers of God. He said, for He beareth not His sword in vain. In other words, He doesn't just wear a sword to look cool. For He is the minister of God. Why? A revenger to execute wrath upon Him that doeth evil. Now that's what government's supposed to do. Don't get me started there this morning. Clearly God is pro-capital punishment. Amen. God wanted the land purged. We've decided it's best for taxpayers to keep... Okay, anyway. <laughs> so God is pro-capital punishment. And, and when we read this, we're right to think that God maybe should have just put Cain to death. But God doesn't do that. Death is going to come in time because of the sin upon mankind. It's a, you know, the wages of sin is death. So that's going to happen in general. But God decides that the proper punishment is for him to live out his life with this curse upon him. And sometimes we need to learn to just trust God's justice. Amen. Amen. That's right. We need to learn to just trust God's timing upon the wicked. It may not be what we expect. I know how I would have handled this situation. <laughs> it may not be what we expect. But we have to trust God in that He does everything according to his will and in his own justice. But it makes us wonder, why didn't God kill Cain? Well, I probably don't have a good answer for you, but I reckon God wanted Cain to be a living testimony to the rest of mankind of what happens when God and his requirements are rejected. Now, I want you to get this. This is what happens. God says, I want you to look at this man. This is what happens when you don't do right. Right? This is what happens when you take matters into your own hands. Cain is separated. He's condemned. His life is going to be a struggle. His life is going to be spent wandering around. Remember, the children of Israel had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief. Cain becomes a living illustration of what happens to a life that is lived apart from God. He's a warning to all others of the dangers of continuing in sin. In Psalm 59, 11, David said of the workers of iniquity, Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. And we would do well to observe the lives of others. Well, the Bible says we're not to judge. <laughs> Come see me. We should watch the lives of others and we should make mental note of the direction they're heading and what they did that got them to that point. I mean, listen, God God has Cain here. He says, uh, I'm not going to kill you. You're just going to wander about. You're not even going to have a good harvest. Life's just going to be a struggle for you. Is that not the way of the sinner? And we are supposed to look at that and we are supposed to understand that this is what happens when we get rid of God in our life. And we ought to learn from people's mistakes. That's right, right. I learned from my older sister's mistakes. <laughs> Why is that first kid the hardest? Because Well, Kaylee's sweet as can be. But, um, you know, in the rest of society, um, <laughs> listen, man, they're learning stuff the hard way. The rest of us are watching going, mm. yeah. The Bible says the way of the transgressors is hard. You can see it. You should take note of it. The wicked are living monuments of the result of rebelling against God. Yeah. I shouldn't have to say all this, but since some of you are looking at me like I'm a little silly, you should be able to look at the drunkard. I don't want that. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's right. As teenagers, you look, oh, we're going to have fun. Now, what you ought to do is find that 40-year-old who looks like he's 70. Yeah. Oh, we're just going to have a little bit of drugs. No, you go find the guy who's missing all his teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like he's about 40 years older than he is. Yeah. The way of the transgressor is hard. Amen. And the examples are out there. Amen. And we could pick sin after sin. Take note of it. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, of that wandering generation. The Bible says, you know, those things were written for in samples. They, they were written for our admonition. Amen. In other words, Paul is saying, you ought to go back and read your Bible because it's warning you of what's going to happen when you go that direction. Amen. And what's interesting is after Paul says that in Corinthians, if he follows it up with this, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Amen. Well, surely with this curse being placed upon Cain, he's going to fall down before our God And ask for mercy. Well, look at verse 13. Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. How sad is this? Cain is still showing absolutely no remorse, no regret for killing his brother. He's not broken at all. Instead, Cain is only concerned about himself. This punishment is more than I can bear. He sure didn't care that Abel incurred his punishment. Yep, that's right. and that was more than he could bear. Yeah, right. All he can say to God is, this isn't fair. Yeah, yeah. Right. He sounds like a little brat, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> you say, what's those? Half kids. <laughs> this is exactly what a punk would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This isn't fair. Somehow he feels that his punishment outweighs his crime. Proverbs 28.5 tells us evil men understand not judgment. Cain's problem is he loves himself more than he loves God and others. Did you know the Bible never teaches us to love ourselves? It doesn't have to because we already know how to love ourselves. I'm not being ugly, okay? But people go to psychiatrists to find a way to get in touch with themselves. They say, I I need to learn to love and respect myself. People say things like, "Uh, I I don't like myself. I I hate myself because I'm a failure. Well, if you really hated yourself, you'd be excited that you're a failure. Stay with me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe everybody's going to psychiatrists this morning to find out if they love themselves, but... Um, Listen, the idea of of learning self-love, it's a myth. We already love ourselves. The fact is we have no problem with it. We know how to please our flesh. We don't need to be taught how to love ourselves. The problem is taking the love that we have for ourselves and extending it to others. That's That's why Jesus had to say, love thy neighbor as thyself. (laughs) Paul wrote, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For no man man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it. Cain has no problem loving himself. All he is concerned with is himself. My punishment. It's greater than I can bear. Somebody said the middle letter in pride is I. The middle letter in sin is I. Cain makes this all about him. He isn't repentant about murdering Abel, his brother. He isn't concerned with how his parents feel in losing one of their sons. And in fact, they're going to lose two of their sons, if you think about it, because now Cain's going to be an outcast. He's not concerned with any of that. He's more concerned about the consequences. All he cares about is how hard life is going to be now. You know, the problem with a lot is they're more concerned about the consequences of getting caught than they are of their own sinfulness before God. I was that way as a kid. People engaged in fornication and adultery, they're more concerned about getting caught than they are of their sin. People who lie are more concerned about getting entangled in their lies than they are about their sin. You pick any sin you want. And it's gotten so bad in our society that now we are seeing people who are just doing all that they feel they can get away with because there's no consequences. I mean, we see it every week. I just read an article this morning. In Philadelphia, a group of young people stormed a grocery store, ransacked, it, took all they wanted. We see people breaking into jewelry. In the, in the daytime, there's no consequences. And so people are sitting there going, I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry about it. I can do whatever I want to do and I can get away with it. The problem is people are no longer sensitive to sin. They no longer realize that they've committed offense against a holy God. We need the fear of God over the fear of getting caught in the punishment of it. You say, I just can't get victory. (laughs) You start understanding what that does in the sight of God, it will change your opinion about your sin. Now verse 14, Cain continues his response to God, Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. I want you to notice Cain here is placing the blame of his curse upon God. Thou hast driven me. Yeah, God gave the curse, but Cain brought this upon himself. Can I get an amen? Amen. Cain is reaping what he has sown. He did this. He drove himself out. He has no right to accuse God of cruel and unusual punishment. That's what people do. Cain acknowledges he's going to be a fugitive, a vagabond in the earth, but then he adds something God never said. He says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. God never said that to him. Isn't it interesting that even before there's ever been a murder committed, but now this one, Cain knows somebody's going to desire to kill me. Isn't that interesting? He understands that there's going to be a desire of equity and judgment. God didn't say people were going to kill him, but Cain assumes that's the response. Why? Because of the conscience. He knew he deserved death for killing his brother. And we also know when we've done wrong and we know that we deserve to be punished for our wrongdoing. But instead of death, he will now live out the rest of his days as a victim of his own guilty conscience. Every time he gathers little from the ground, maybe he would hear the cry of his brother. Every time he wanders around, he would think of the blood of his brother. Matthew Henry wrote this, there is not a more restless fugitive upon the earth than he that is continually pursued by his own guilt. A guilty conscience will either drive you to God or away from God. Oh, that's right. yeah. Well, in verse 15, to be sure that no one's going to kill Cain, God set a mark upon him. <laughs> I've read some goofy stuff on this. <laughs> the goofiest to me was that he put a horn out of his forehead. <laughs> I, whatever. Um, There's a lot of goofy theories. He he puts a mark on him, lest any finding him should kill him. Perhaps it was just a curtail killing in the earth. Perhaps, as I said earlier, God intended Cain to be a living example to others. Perhaps it's a reminder that vengeance belongs to God. Perhaps this was the mercy and long-suffering of God to allow Cain an opportunity to repent. But if anyone killed Cain, God said, "I'll, I'll deal with it and I'll deal with it sevenfold. In other words, you think what Cain got is bad, you wait till somebody kills Cain, it's going to be seven times worse. So naturally, many have wondered, what was this mark? Well, the word for mark means a sign or a token. When this Hebrew word is first used in Genesis 1.14, it's translated as signs. The third time it's used in Genesis 9.12, it's translated as token. So because of that, some have speculated that God gave Cain a sign, a token, to convince him that no one was going to kill him. Others believe it was an actual mark upon him. You can try to figure it out all you want, the Bible never says. This is one of those places where when the Bible is silent, we ought to be too. Now there's one last thought I want to try and bring out from this text. In verse 14, Cain added something else to God's curse. When he said, and from thy face shall I be hid. God never said that. God never said that he would be hidden from him. Most see this as God having banished Cain from ever coming into his presence. I have a suspicion that's not the case here. Now you can disagree with this and we can still be friends. All right, you independent Baptists that get mad about everything, we can still be friends. (laughs) I want to suggest to you that this is Cain copying an attitude with God yet again. To this point, he he hasn't shown any remorse whatsoever. He's lied to God. He's flippantly said to God, I'm my brother's keeper. And as of now, I think what Cain might be saying Here is is with a disgruntled attitude, without any regret at all, with a hardened heart, from thy presence shall I be hid. My punishment, it's greater than I can bear. This isn't fair. You've driven me out this day from the face of the earth. And you know what? From thy face shall I be hid. In other words, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm done with this God stuff. I'm done with the people of God. I think this is Cain willingly desiring to hide himself from God's presence, which we understand is an impossibility. But we also understand that people can willfully refuse God. I think this might be the meaning here. When this Hebrew word for shall I be hid is used in Deuteronomy 31 and many other passages. It is God saying, I will hide my face from you. In fact, twice over there in Deuteronomy 31, the second time says, surely I will hide my face. And I think this is how Cain is saying this. I believe this is the sense. I will hide my face from you. I will no longer be in communion with you. Cain is choosing to cast himself away from God from the fear of God, from the ordinances of God, from the people of God, and say, I'm just going to follow my own path. Essentially, he's saying to God, I don't want or need you anymore. How many have said that? And sure enough, maybe the saddest part of this chapter, verse 16, begins with, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Interesting, because when God dealt with Adam and Eve in chapter 3, He had to send them from the Garden of Eden. We're told that He had to drive them out. They wanted to be there. God doesn't have to do that with Cain. Rather, Cain arrogantly walks away from God on his own accord and enters his life of exile and wandering. We see that Cain dwells in the land of Nod. Some pronounce it Node but Nod sounds better because it rhymes with God. (laughs) On the east of Eden. We don't know how far east he went, but he went further than where God placed Adam and Eve to the east of Eden. Nod basically means the same as vagabond in this text. They're, They're almost the exact same word. It means vagrancy. It means to wander. And it may have gotten its name after Cain went there. Now as I close... There's there's some things we need to get from this text. Listen, if you tune me out, tune me in. And and you've got to get the whole chapter in context here, but man-made religion drives people further away from God. The Lord said in Isaiah 29, 13, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips, do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. Jesus used that verse against the religious scribes and Pharisees. Remember that Cain felt in his own religion of self-righteousness, he could draw close to God. But what he thought would bring him closer in his strength actually has driven him further away from God. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but you may think your religious efforts are going to draw you near to God. But it's leading you further away. You can't depend on your good intentions, your good works, your water baptism, your church membership, your financial giving. All those are good, all those are right after salvation. But in your lost state, it's nothing more than your religion and it's not going to draw you closer to God. Amen. Cain's going to be restless and wandering all the days of his, of his life and it appears from New Testament verses that he never got his heart right. Understand this morning, there is no peace, there is no rest apart from God. You cannot reject God's word and expect to be at peace and rest with God. You cannot seek to be justified on your own and expect to be at peace and rest with God. That's why when you ask a religionist, Are you sure? Well, I hope so. You have no peace, you have no rest. Well, I hope I've been good enough. When you live outside of the presence of the Lord, there's always going to be wanderings. There's not going to be any peace. There's not going to be any rest. You will be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. So is there anyone wandering from God today? If you're wandering away from God, you're not going to find Him in your pride. He only draws near to those who are of a humble heart. And if you refuse God and His requirements, you will always be unsettled in your soul. So how can one find peace and rest with God? That's the question. You must go to the Lord in faith. The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. Place your faith in what? The finished work of Christ upon the cross. Trust that His blood is all sufficient. And only then will you find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And again, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, For he that has entered into his rest has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You know, Isaiah 11.10 tells us that the rest of God shall be glorious. All it takes to enter into God's rest is faith in the Gospel. Hebrews 4 1 and 2, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. What was the problem? It wasn't hearing the message, it was having faith in the message. And verse 3 of Hebrews 4 begins with, For we which believe do enter into rest. I'm at peace with God today. Whoop! I have rest. Boy, your life must be great. No, listen, be a pastor for a little bit. (laughs) But I have peace. Come to the Lord in faith today. Listen, search your heart. Have you entered God's rest today? Are you tired of wandering without the peace of God? Don't refuse Him any longer. How about you, Christian, believer? Are you at peace with God today? Now, we can live in His presence at all times if we choose. But we all know there are times that we choose to live away from God's peace and rest. Maybe you've drifted away. Maybe there's some of you who are in Christ, but you don't have the peace and rest of God in your life. You need to return to God's presence today. Jeremiah 6.16 Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and seek and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein? And ye shall find rest for your souls. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. This doesn't have to be you. You can dwell in God's presence. You can know His peace and rest. God has made the way through Christ. All you must do is go to Him in faith. The hymn writer Cleland Boyd McAfee penned these words, There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. Pray with me please.